Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. This is Friday, the 11th day of March, 2022. I will be talking about sanctions today. Sanctions and their effects on Russia, Europe, and the United States, but also I will be trying my best to discover some version of truth and reality in this war. Winston Churchill once said that in time of war, Truth is such a precious commodity that it must be surrounded by a bodyguard of lies. It's hard to discover truth, considering that one side in this struggle has total and complete control of all information, but I will keep trying. How goes the war, then? It's hard to tell, since much of what we see, hear, and read is nothing but propaganda, but we are here to talk about a tactic today. That tactic is sanctions. Sanctions is an aspect of warfare by different means, economic warfare and propaganda. The dictionary definition of propaganda is, quote, ideas, facts, or allegations spread deliberately to further one's cause or to damage an opposing cause, end quote. It is a noble lie, in other words. The noble lie, as Plato once called it more than a thousand years ago, as he said, it may be necessary to inspire people to fling themselves upon distant battlefields to fight some devil. They must, therefore, be convinced that their enemy is the devil. The war dominates the news in the present, but it will eventually cease. The economic sanctions, however, will affect the world for many years to come. We look now at just some of those effects that occur to me. The economic sanctions imposed on Russia by the U.S., the U.K., the E.U., and other nations are the most severe ever imposed. They're having a drastic effect on the Russian economy and the Russian people. The U.S. alone announced 15 sanctions programs with more on the way as soon as the people in Washington can think of more. Russian banks, stocks, bonds, corporations, shipping companies, even individual Russians with money abroad have been sanctioned economically. More importantly, the Central Bank of Russia had its accounts frozen the first time I can ever recall that happening to a central bank. Even individual American companies like Microsoft, ExxonMobil, Shell, major airlines, as well as Google and Apple have stopped doing business in Russia. Shipping companies are refusing to enter Russian ports or offload Russian ships in other ports. Many funds are divesting themselves of Russian stocks and bonds. Russian stocks and bonds are crashing as a result. Who cares? Who cares about any of this? How would it affect me here in America? There's a good chance that your retirement fund, whether public or private, is invested in Russian companies. If you receive a retirement pension from anywhere, from anyone, it could be affected, incidentally. Two of the largest companies in Russia, Gazprom, the oil giant, and Russian Railways, which is wholly owned by the Russian government, have bonds outstanding, which are crashing. Guess who is buying the bonds of those companies as they fall lower and lower? If you guess Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase, you would be correct. The Russian economy is collapsing. If you consider a 20% drop to be a collapse, it is what happened to the U.S. during the COVID lockdowns. The effects on the Russian people have been devastating. Empty supermarket ships with no food available, jobs lost. No public assistance available. I've seen videos, courtesy of Zero Hedge and others, of old babushkas wailing in the streets of Moscow, crying. How did this happen to us, they asked. We're hated by the whole world now. Why did this happen to us? The Russians 
are wailing as well from the boxes containing their sons, husbands, fathers coming back from Ukraine. That is war, folks. War is blood shed on the battlefield and at home. The suffering of the Russian people obviously does not compare to that of the Ukrainian people who suffer from actual combat in the streets, actual bombs falling on their homes. Joan and I have contacts inside Romania, which is on the Ukrainian border. They report to us on the thousands of migrants streaming into Romania from Ukraine, even from Russia. According to the U.N., Refugee Agency, more than 1.2 million people have fled Ukraine since the invasion of February 24th. There are many more on the move, the U.N. spokesman said. Possibly at least that many people displaced inside the country back to Russia, inside Russia for a moment. An estimated 13,000 protesters have been arrested in Moscow for demonstrating against Putin's invasion, according to MSNBC, as we all know is never wrong. Putin continues trying to snuff out dissent, but dissent seems to be growing at home. History tells me that he will grow more and more repressive as dissent grows, as well as more and more vicious in war as resistance continues to gain momentum. He makes some mistakes. He makes mistakes. That is becoming more and more obvious. It is interesting to learn that the U.S. generals are not the only ones who continually fight the last war. When was the last time Russia fought a big armored war? Well, it was 1945, and that was World War II. We could count the 1973 war between Israel, supplied by the U.S., and the combined Arab army supplied by Russia, but that was a proxy war, fought by people using Russian equipment. Even then, the Syrian T-54 tanks proved inferior to the Israeli centurions, even though they had vastly superior numbers. The Russians appear to be fighting World War II again with the tactics they're using. Or at least their overall tactical plan of attack seems World War II-ish to me. Their plan was and is complicated, difficult to achieve, unless the enemy does exactly what you want him to do, and he rarely does. A three-pronged armored assault from three different directions, which ignores the maximum of mass forces. One attack from the east straight through the middle, one from the north out of Belarus, and one seaborne launched from the south. That is classic. World War II, as enacted by the Germans, instead of one massed assault straight to Moscow, they launched a three-pronged attack across a 3,000-mile front, and as a result, they were continually bogged down in places like Stalingrad. Now that situation is reversed for them in Ukraine. The Ukrainians have been unwilling to cooperate and mass their forces so they could be wiped out by superior firepower and technology from the Russians. That is uh, classic guerrilla warfare, folks. Instead, the Ukrainians disperse out of the cities while arming their city residents just in case. They meet the Russians as guerrillas in the open fields, and they have been extensively supplied with Javelin anti-tank missiles and Stinger anti-air missiles. These missiles are both what the soldiers call man-pods, or man-portable weapons. One man can sit in a hole from two miles away, pop up and fire a Javelin that flies into a Russian tank. Then the soldier goes back in his hole unseen. It's the same for the Stinger, low-firing aircraft, especially helicopters, that is all devastating to tactics which depend on shock and awe of armored assault. Shock depends on the element of surprise. That was denied to the Russians. Putin and Biden knew for weeks in advance 
that this attack was coming. They both publicly talked about it. There was no shock then, no shock which would have forced the Ukrainians back on their heels, retreating to the cities and begging for peace. The hundreds of tanks were supposed to supply the all, but once again, that's World War II type all. I still don't think Putin has unleashed the full power of his military. I pray to God he never does. The Russian Air Force has been relatively inactive with mostly fighter support and transport planes, not much close air support of advancing infantry and no strategic bombing at all. I'm afraid that Putin is going to end up in his own Stalingrad, which would mean a house-to-house rat war in the Ukrainian cities, the least desirable outcome for both sides. Now let us return for a moment to the subject of today. That is sanctions. The economic warfare that we call sanctions falls on everybody, not just the intended target to keep the warfare symbology. It's the equivalent of calling an artillery barrage or an airstrike on your own position, which is obviously a last resort. The President of the United States, heeding demands from both sides of the congressional aisle, barred the import of Russian oil and gas. He blamed it all on Putin, of course. Quote, Putin's war is already hurting American families at the gas pump. Since Putin began his military buildup on Ukrainian borders, just since then, the price of gas at the pump in America went up 75 cents, and with this action, it's going to go up further. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home, end quote. Well, now, Mr. President, that old dog just won't hunt anymore. Inflation was driving the price, of gas, the price of gas higher long before Putin's buildup, long before you decided to make it worse by caving to demands of the people's elected representatives. Furthermore, you said you would do everything you could, but that's not true, is it, Mr. President? You could restart the Keystone Pipeline, restart fracking, approve offshore drilling, approve drilling on federal land, Rebuild refineries. What then do you mean by the statement, I will do everything I can? Let me make a suggestion. I believe you mean that you will strong-arm the Germans to close down Nord Stream 2, but not the original Nord Stream, which supplies Russian gas into the heart of Germany. You will go hat-in-hand to the evil Saudis and the Gulf Arabs and be told by them to go pound sand. I understand that you are considering a personal trip to Saudi Arabia to make a personal plea to Ben Salman after you dissed him about the murder of a dissident journalist. You've also sent officials to Venezuela, where the state-owned oil company is already sanctioned by the U.S. They were evil yesterday, but they are friends today. I'm sure you know, Mr. President, that a great deal of that Venezuelan oil was owned by the Russian oil company Rosneft, which transferred it to the Russian government to help avoid your sanctions on Venezuela. I'm sure all this petro diplomacy creates some ethical qualms for you. You occasionally feel a little hypocritical about it. You can't drill domestically for environmental reasons, but for different reasons. You're willing to do business with brutal dictators. I suppose ethics are luxuries in the middle of the Putin crisis. We have to stand tall against one dictator, but not against others, even with all that goodwill you have From your Ukrainian virtue signaling, you seem a bit touchy about domestic productions. I know you want to use this energy crisis, which punishes every working American, to promote your Green New Deal, which requires the U.S. to buy solar and wind technology from China. It's a distant dream in any event. To summarize your royal position, I smell a big, fat Green New Deal rat in it somewhere. 
The actual figures, by the way, Mr. President, indicate that the average price of gasoline was up 52% before the invasion, and it's up 18.8% since then, since you were sworn in as president. Crude oil is up 124%. I guess inflation is Putin's fault as well. That man's done a lot, hasn't he? I mean, he caused inflation in the U.S., but he did cure COVID. At least he took away the mask mandate, so he's got that going for him. One minute we get COVID if we don't wear a mask, the next minute we don't. All thanks to the Russian president. In reference to inflation, you've increased the monetary base by 90% since the inauguration. I wonder if all that spending with no corresponding increase in production had anything to do with inflation. We do know, however, that the Federal Reserve causes inflation, but you and many other presidents are its enablers and its benefactors. I know you're afraid of recession, as we all are or should be, because it means unemployment. It means a declining standard of living. That appears to be baked in the cake right now. If we take the word of Jim Bianco at Bianco Research, quote, not every recession is led by 50% rise in crude but every 50% rise in crude has led a recession, end quote. Russia is, however, not without weapons in the sanctions war. If no one wants to do business with Russia, the central bank will default, as will all other Russian companies, and that will leave Western banks and corporations holding a big stinky bad of bad debt. Down stock prices upsetting stockholders, which mostly are the top percent of income. Putin has already forbidden the export of raw materials essential to Western manufacturing. The West is dependent to some extent on not just Russian oil and gas, but other Russian commodities. Much of the raw materials needed for production, like aluminum, come from Russia, but no more. Seventy percent of all the neon gas in the world comes from Ukraine through the port of Odessa, now controlled by Russia. Finally, folks, this is all terribly sad, especially when one considers that it was all so avoidable. I smell the great reset here, folks. Reset. Davos, Klaus Schwab, lurking just out of sight, well concealed by propaganda. Time will tell who's correct, but it will not be war which decides, for as the old maxim goes, wars doesn't decide who is right, only who is left. At least that's the way I see it, folks. Till next time, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.